Now, um, as, as many of you know, I have certain things that clash at times. Um, I have a love of sports and a, a love of movies, and sometimes the two come together and and sometimes they don't, but this today I want to share, there, there's a movie called Coach Carter, and uh, he's a basketball coach, and you could also talk about Hoosiers, which I've shared before as well, um, but something's in common with these two movies, not just the game of basketball, but these coaches are hard-nosed. Um, they come in to a group of players that kind of think they run the show. We know how it's been. We know how it's going to be. And let's just get this over with that, you know, now is the time and here's the place. And both come into these situations. And what happens is the players find out there's a new sheriff in town. And it, it's kind of interesting in both, both settings are stories of, of Truth. They're both stories of patterned off a, a very real story. And they have this line basically that says, What happens in here on this court during these practices will bring success with whatever we face, with that, whatever we go up against in the other teams. And, and it's always a show of transformation and and it always, it inevitably says, you know, put the basketballs up because it starts with the training. And let's get on the line, let's start running. Um, as a basketball player, I hated the running. Andrew's just shaking his head, he's having nightmares right now. You know, on the line, and what was the worst was the end of practice running because that's how you win games is the fourth quarter. And, and so, you know, you're just dead beat tired from the end, and the coach gets up and says, on the line, and so we're ready to run suicides. And Brent, I blame you for some of this, you know, because um, you know you did this. And you run in suicides, and you think you're done, and he goes, okay, now everybody's going to shoot some free throws, and if you miss free throws, we run more. And you, hey, oh, man, you didn't want to let your team down because if you miss the shot, we're running, and I hate to run. And so, but, but that understanding of what goes on here in developing and training shows itself out there. Paul, as he's writing this book, this letter um, in Colossians, He's writing to a group of believers in a tiny town of really no consequence. There's not much known about this town other than it was destroyed not many years after this letter by an earthquake. And it was of enough consequence that they didn't even bother rebuilding. And so they're just now really kind of getting into some of the, the places of where it's at. It was part of three three towns in this little valley. Um, Laodicea is the, the town of main reference within that area. But this group of believers in this little town is being confronted by some people that are teaching false doctrines. They're, they're trying to lead people astray. And so 
uh, Epaphras has come to Rome to say, hey, you got, Paul, I need your help. And Epaphras had learned from Paul and, and had gone to uh, Colossia to teach and, uh, and start this church. And so Paul writes this letter to straighten the church out and to give them some guidance. And so he begins to write this letter and, and he writes about with thanksgiving for all that's already been done. And he writes in prayer for the church and he tells them how he's praying. And, and he, he uh, is thankful in how the people have responded so far. And even though he did not know these people, he had never been, as far as we know, to Colossia, at least from the records, that he writes to them and says he is concerned for them because he knows that the goal isn't just a one-time decision in their head that, you know, well, I said Jesus is Lord and, you know, we'll go on with life. He knows the goal is a life transformed in Christ. He knows that the goal is a mature and fruitful follower of Christ. And so Paul starts instructing them in some essential truths to help them remain rooted in the gospel, that they wouldn't be distracted by these other teachings that are trying to be forced on them. And, and so he teaches them that Jesus is the living God who came to earth to redeem them from sin and to reconcile them before God. And that's what, you know, we have this Christ hymn in the very beginning of this letter that is the central point. Because everything, if, if you're confused about anything... Look to who Christ is. He's the real deal. And so as a response to Christ's action, Paul begins to describe what it means to live a Christ-centered life. One that keeps the gospel front and center in all that is going on. And it keeps Christ in focus. And so to do that, Paul says we need to know who Christ is. And it starts and it ends there. So don't miss it. And so, as, as I said, you know, Paul starts singing Christ's praises because the being in the fullness of God didn't stop God uh, through Christ from taking on our need for salvation. In verse 22 of chapter 1, Paul states that if we place our faith in Christ and that we live into that, we will be presented as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation in Christ. So in thankfulness for what Christ has done for him. And, and we can't forget who Paul is. He, he was a religious leader. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was the one that went out with letters to try and find Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be persecuted and very likely killed all in the name of religious integrity. And he had this experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus that changed everything. So Paul knows where he's been. And he knows where he's going And now he's wanting to take as many with that understanding with him into God's faithfulness. 
And, and so he, he, he understands this and in thankfulness for what Christ has done, Paul declares himself a servant of the gospel. And now in verse 24, which we'll be going through from verse 24 of chapter 1 into chapter 2, he begins to describe what that has meant as far as his labor for the church. Because Paul understands that no sacrifice is too great when it comes to the gospel. That you know, and Paul realizes that there's a lot of things that we can devote our energies to. And we do. Paul had done it as well. And he realizes now this is toward the end of his life. He, he knows he's sitting in prison. He knows the likely outcome. And, and he's, he's declared, you know what, some are worth the investment. There, there are a lot of other things that we're going to discover that, you know, I almost, it wasn't that big a deal. We may think of it as a big deal right now, but it wasn't really that big a deal. And so one thing he knows is always worthy of the best of efforts is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel is the culmination of God's plan for all the ages, and nothing's more important than sharing that message with whoever he can encounter. And so we're going to look today at three ways we're called to be fully committed to the gospel. And we're going to use this, uh, these passages from Paul, these words to help guide us. First of all, we're called to be fully committed in presenting God's word in its fullness. We don't hold back. In verse 24, we find that Paul is so committed to presenting God's word that he's willing to suffer for it. And when I mean suffer, I don't, I don't mean a splinter in the finger, you know, oh, I was turning a page and got a paper cut. Oh, woe is me. What, what he, he's saying is, you know, I know what I have already been through. He's been jailed. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned to almost near death. He's been flogged. You know, he's been dragged, left outside the city limits, you know, left for dead, several times, and there's this long list uh, of, of what he's gone through. And Paul tells the Colossians he's not only suffering for the gospel, but for them as well, because he, he understands that all he has endured to preach the gospel, that they might understand what God has done for them. And so Paul makes this remarkable statement, and, uh, and, as, and as I've read in, about this passage and this statement, it, it's kind of been one that at times has been kind of controversial. And he says this, I fill up in my flesh what is, lacking, what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, it's, under, it's, it's really important for us to understand in this verse in 24 what he is saying versus what he is not saying. You know, the English language is not what he wrote this in. And sometimes we translate it and it doesn't come across in the same way. So first of all, Paul is not saying that there is anything lacking in what Christ did in order for us to have salvation in him. 
that his death on the cross, he's already stated earlier in this letter, just it, it, it paid the entire price. So he's not saying that there's something lacking as much as he is saying is that there is inevitable suffering that will accompany those who preach the gospel to an unbelieving world. He's saying these things are going to happen. I suffer because it's in, you know, with Christ, not against Christ. And he's John. I mean, John in John fifteen, Jesus states, "If they hated me, they will hate you." And working hard for the gospel means presenting God's word in its fullness. We don't hold back. We don't conform the gospel to the world. We're called to conform the world to the gospel. And when we do that, when we preach the word, when we preach the truth of what God is calling us to do, there are going to be people that don't like it. There are going to be people that will not tolerate it. And when you share God's word, that doesn't mean we back off. It means we hold true to the gospel message. And we must be prepared and willing to suffer for the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Because being fully committed to presenting God's word also means that we are called to explain God's plan. That we're not just here for these limited years on this planet. That there is a salvation. That there is a future. In verse, to, verses 25-26, through 26, he says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. So back in verse 23, Paul has called himself a servant of the gospel. And now he's recognizing and and calls himself a servant of the church. And he has become a servant of the church by God's commission. God has sent him into the world. God has given him a task to present the word of God. But then he goes on to describe the word of God as a mystery. That there's this component that wasn't known, but now is, that has been figured out, so to say. And when we hear this word mystery, I don't want you thinking, and this will prove between the generations. I don't want you thinking when we say mystery, Agatha Christie, some of you know who that is, or Scooby-Doo, some of you know who that is, and some know who both are, and good for you. But But when Paul is saying mystery, it's not something to be solved that if we just pull the clues together. What he is saying in mystery is is using this term of something that was hidden and undiscoverable until God had decided to reveal it. And, And Paul is taking this and saying this amidst the people that were trying to use the word mystery as something that is a, I can have it and I'll share with you whatever I feel like I need to share. Paul is saying that this mystery has been opened up to all believers in Christ. That God has made everything revealed. 
It has, it's not hidden anymore that through Christ it has been made known to all believers in Jesus Christ. So what's exactly the, the, the mystery? What has been revealed? Verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's summed up in those final words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we can't forget that Paul is writing largely to a Gentile group at this point. He's talking specifically to them. They're included. Paul, who grew up in the Jewish mindset of in and out, us versus them, and God is saying, all. You're all part of this plan. That, that we would understand that they are now included. Part of the mystery of God's plan that has now been revealed is that salvation has gone out to all people. It, it doesn't matter on your blood type. It doesn't matter on your gender. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It is open and available to all people. Jesus came as the Messiah for the Jewish people, but the hope of the gospel is for Jews and Gentile alike. There's no one left outside looking in. God's love has set everyone free. The truly amazing part, though, is these words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The true mystery of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is living in you and me. Two weeks ago, we saw in verse 19 that all the fullness of God has, is, dwells in Jesus here on earth. And now, we come to understand that Christ dwells within the believer. And so we move from God in Christ to Christ in you. And Christ dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. Nothing compares with that. Nothing we can ever buy, own, or wear, or anything other title that we can give is supplants that Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. God lives in you and has given you a hope and a future that you cannot get in any other way. Nothing compares. And so therefore, no sacrifice is too great to share that message with others. Christ is in you is the hope of glory. If Christ is within you, then you can be assured of your future resurrection to glory as long as you remain in him. So in presenting the word of God in its fullness, we're willing to suffer for, the, for and with the body of Christ. That we explain God's plan and we point God, God's people to the ultimate mystery of, of the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But we also, <clears throat> excuse me, in our fully committedness to the gospel, proclaim Christ to each person. Paul writes in verse 28, we proclaim him. And there's only one him. 
Christ is the key. He is the central message. Yes, there are a lot of things that we can learn in God's word throughout. But we preach, we proclaim a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And part of that proclaiming includes, as Paul says, admonishing and teaching. To admonish means to warn, to correct, to, to, to care enough to show someone, I see you're going this way, you know, but let me tell you that where this way ends. And, and so I, I, want to, I want you to understand that, that you need to correct your way. Because if you continue this way, it's not going to end well. And, and so we do it because we love someone, and it's something that we may not like to do because the likelihood is it can be uncomfortable. That calling someone on something in love, and even as we're warning people it, that there's a coming judgment as if you continue on this path, it, it's often uncomfortable for not only the person bearing the message, but those that receive it. And telling people what is sin and calling them to faith and repentance of Christ is an incredibly important message. We are all called to participate in. Not just when they're little kids, but even as adults. We are called to, to share that message. But so, so we admonish and we correct and we call people to Christ, but we also teach. This word teach is, is focusing on positive instruction. That these are both roles for every believer. We're to warn and we're to teach. Notice Paul says that we're to do this with all wisdom because this is part of the ongoing transformation of believers in Christ. We teach and we admonish because we have the attitude of no one left behind. It's, it's verse 28, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. No one excluded. The emphasis in verse 28 is no believer misses out. And we want all people to understand that they can be believers. No one ex is excluded from the message or the purpose. The transformative power of Jesus Christ is available for everyone. In the original language, this word all or every appears four times in this one verse alone. There's some emphasis going on here. Paul has realized uh, the importance, and it says basically admonishing everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom to present everyone. Paul has realized that his calling isn't just to preach. It's just not to get up in front and say some words and hopefully convince people. His, his, his purpose and in, in his goal is to help in the process of growth that everyone would participate and that we could eventually, when Christ in that judgment day comes, that we can present everyone perfect in Christ. The word tra 
perfect here that's translated. It, it's a touchy word. It's, it's a word that has a lot of baggage, but this word really is better translated mature or complete. That we would have an opportunity and a part of the process not just to bring people to Christ in a one-time thing, but to bring everyone to maturity in Christ. That we would lead them, that we'd walk with them, that we would present and teach them and guide them. That there's this continued emphasis on completion and fulfilling throughout this passage. Paul's goal is to present every believer in maturity in Christ. So what's his method? The complete teaching of God's word. That we would know what's there, what we're called to. Paul aims to warn everyone, to teach everyone, and to present everyone in Christ. You can't do that without being fully committed. Paul was willing to work to the point of exhaustion because he had a calling from God that had taken hold of him, that he couldn't get away from. As I said, remember, you have to remember Paul's history, where he's been, where he knows he's headed, and he wants to take everybody along with him. He wants everybody to join with him because he understands he can only do so much. And so the body of Christ works together But Paul's working hard. It's verse verse 29. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul is a person consumed. He takes it seriously. The word translated labor here means to grow weary or tired, to work hard to the point of exhaustion. This word struggling is kind of an athletic uh, word. It's, it's to agonize or to struggle as in an athletic contest. View the person running for that, that red, red tape at the end. They're trying to pass the line and they're just struggling. They're just, their goal is, is right there. I've got to get through that line. Got to break the tape. It's a picture of tireless exertion, struggling against all obstacles and opposition along the way. Similarly, we are weak vessels. Paul would later say we're jars of clay. So we have to rely on God's power to do God's work. This is not an earthly struggle of just flesh and blood. This is God's task. And so much like Paul, it's the same big task that lies before us. We are all commissioned as well. We are all sent as well. We all have a calling to do what we need to do in anything short of sin. We've got to get people to Christ and continue to pursue growth in Christ. So what do we do to move forward? We promote unity in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean that we soften the message. It means we get everybody on board. That we join together. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Paul gets personal here and he tells them how much he is struggling 
and sacrificing for them. Because he wants them to be encouraged in heart and united in love. The word translated united here is a word that means knit together. It's they're intertwined, that they're, they're, they're holding together. And that unity will help them grow spiritually so that they will have all the full riches of complete understanding which will protect them from the false teaching and false teachers. You see, Satan's strategy is usually just to divide and conquer. If he can get you divided, then it becomes much easier for him to do his task. In fact, he doesn't have to hardly work at all. And so unity is essential to a church's health and wellness. As we've listened to stories, and I've had a lot of opportunity, especially in the past several weeks, to listen to stories of how we got here. One of the overarching themes that kept coming was and we were all unified on purpose. We knew what we wanted to do and what we were called to do. And that meant that I've, I've heard stories of staining parties. There was work, wood that needed to be stained. We're going to come together and just work together. Well, we need something. Well, we'll work in that. And, we'll, you know, and people are just joining together left and right. They were unified in purpose in getting this place here. And it continued to grow. And it continued in purpose. And we are continue to be unified in what God is going to do and continues to do. But we also move forward by keeping Christ the center. We can't deviate. Look at verses 2 through 4. In order that they may know the mystery of God... Namely, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. The purpose of the unity is to help them grow in their understanding of God's word. And purpose of their growing is to understand that they may know Christ whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul keeps Christ constantly it's if you're if you're confused if you're if you're starting to drift look to Christ because that's our center point if 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 you're walking or running very far you know I don't I don't know about you but if I'm if I'm running I don't do that as much as I used to but if I know I've got to get somewhere I I have to pick a point to keep going if I can just get to there and when I get to there, it's okay. Well, I know, okay, I've got to get to there. And you, and you keep pushing. And we've got to keep Christ's center. We've got to keep on point. Because any deviation, it, 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 by the end, it's a, it may, you may think, well, it's just a little thing. Aim small, hit small. I keep coming back to that. Aim small, hit small. If you think it's just a little bit, well, that little deviation by the length of time gets farther and farther. We have to stay focused on Christ. Paul keeps Christ at the center. He tells the Colossians, don't go looking anywhere else for wisdom and knowledge because all of it is found in Christ. 
right here. If you don't want to be fooled, then keep Christ at the center. Everything you need to live for in God is found in Christ. You don't have to start searching elsewhere. He has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge right there. And an essential part of protecting God's people is keeping Christ at the center. Not just the center of the church, but the center of our lives. It should be the reference point for everything that we do. And lastly, we move forward by staying spiritually connected. This past year, there's been a lot of points of deviation. Politically, health, social distancing, all the different points. And if you notice, there, there are people that are missing. We have to keep together. Not just physically and checking on one another, but we have to pray for one another. We have to do the things spiritually to keep connected. If you look at verse 5, Paul writes, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul's not there. He's a thousand miles away in Rome in a prison. He's never been there. But he continues to pray earnestly. He continues to preach in in fullness of what God is going to do in those people's lives. And he does his best to put things in place. And yet he is spiritually connected with them throughout. The same Christ who lives in the Colossians by the Holy Spirit also lives in Paul. And if we're going to work hard to protect God's people... We have to stay spiritually connected. We have to dive into God's word. We have to to be in prayer for one another. We have to lift one another up in all these different ways. We have to stay together. Because if we don't stay together, then we're apart. Keep Christ at the center. The thing is, if we all do that, the rest falls in place. Keep Christ at the center. Aim small, hit small. The thing is, when we hit that, the glory of God, that one day we all get to celebrate together in God's presence, oh my, the hope of God is in you because Christ is in you. You can pray with me. Heavenly Father, Help us today. Help us to know you more and more. Help us to honor you in everything that we do. Help us to keep you center in our lives. God, there are a lot of different things in this world that continually try to distract us. There's work issues and family issues and finances and health and just emotions and all the different things of life, but God, keep us centered on you. Keep us focused in on you, Lord. Bind us together, not not just because we're here in this one location, but God, bind us together in your love. May they know we are Christians by our love. 
Not just love in the earthly way, but God, may they know we are Christians by love that surpasses all understanding because we are found and have received hope in you. So God, we give you this day. We give you our lives. May we be fully committed to you in everything that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.